strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his manifestation to Israel. So far in the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for once again an intimate glimpse into the events of the coming of our Savior and into his family and into his herald. We pray, Father, that you would bless us as we, under the, the, the testimony and benediction of this priest long ago, that we would gain a greater joy and a richer knowledge of our Savior this morning. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, later this month, if you haven't already, uh, you will probably have the following words go over your tongue. Son of God loves pure light. Radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Uh, We'll be singing it in our service on Christmas Eve, and I'm sure probably you'll be singing it before then. Aren't those just astonishing words? Within a a, a beautiful hymn to begin with, uh, sometimes a a line just really pops out, and I, I think, at least for me, that's the line that has such rich poetic and also theological value in that hymn. This idea of the, the glory of God, God's face shining in, in Christ. It's a, a beautiful line. Powerful words that, of course, are reflecting on Malachi 4, which we read, where he declares the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. And here, Zacharias exalts the day spring. Or I, I think, I, I, my memory might be off, but I think the ESV has sunrise instead of day spring there. Now, I, I personally like day spring, but that might just be because I've always heard it as day spring. But of course, day spring means sunrise. The, the starting point of the beautiful day, Zacharias exalts the day spring from on high that visits God's people here in our text. All of these are just beautiful thoughts. From a poetic standpoint, it's beautiful imagery, but only imagery, unless, of course, we are certain about who Jesus is, certain about what he came to do and what he does. Uh, if, if we just take the imagery and don't understand who Jesus is, we can apply this idea of a, a bright, shiny day to all sorts of non-salvific things. And we might distract ourselves and think that perhaps we could save ourselves or that salvation is something other than it is. And so as beautiful as all these lines are, it's, it's our duty with Zacharias to think about what these things mean. Who is the dayspring? And what did he do? Well, that's the point of the book of Luke, of course. But we get several key elements here in Zacharias's song. Now, you, you know the story, I'm sure. Here, uh, John is, is born, and everyone comes around to celebrate And on the eighth day, according to the law, he is going to be circumcised. And at that time, they would give the official name to everyone. And the the tradition was the father would give the name. And the tradition was also that the father would pick his own name or, or grandpa's name or something like that. You keep it in the family, this tradition uh, within Israel. But of course, Zacharias can't talk. And for nine months, he hasn't talked. So they apparently don't bother going to him. They go to Elizabeth instead. But we'll forgive the breaking of tradition, they think. He can't talk. Elizabeth surely has this figured out by now. She'll know the right thing to do is to call him Junior. And she doesn't. 
And so they think, well, surely, you know, here's this old man and his line is about to die and he is given a son. Surely he will want to call him Junior. And he doesn't. In, in fact, what John does is very striking because he doesn't say, we will call him John. He doesn't write, whatever Elizabeth wants, it's fine. She's old and she waited a long time for this. He, he writes, and it's even more emphatic in the, the original Greek than it comes out in English. He writes that this is John. He, he doesn't say I'm naming him or Elizabeth is naming him because, of course, neither of them does name him. Go back and review Gabriel coming to Zacharias nine months earlier and he said his name is John. And with this testimony of, sadly, a little delayed faith on Zacharias's part, all of a sudden his mouth is opened and he can speak. What does he do? Does he tell Elizabeth, I love you so much, sorry I haven't been able to, or I'm sorry for that thing I did three months ago and I wasn't able to say I'm sorry. No, and and he doesn't do any number of other things either. He picks up where he left off when he lost his voice. He does what he wasn't able to do back in uh, verse 22, nine months earlier. He gives the priestly benediction. That was his job, remember? I mentioned that several weeks ago. He was in the temple. He comes out. He's supposed to stand there, raise his hands and say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And he can't. So as soon as he gets his voice back, he does just that. Now now he... um, he extends it a bit by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But notice that all those elements are there. The Lord blessing and keeping his face shining, day spring from on high, and give you peace to guide our feet into the way of peace. Right? I'll I'll let you actually take the two things in print and compare and contrast but he gives the ironic benediction with commentary. But that's what he's doing. He's giving a benediction, a blessing from God. A blessing that in part is, is geared directly towards his own son. But through his son, of course, is going to all Israel and beyond. John's ministry is to herald the king. And what greater blessing has any ever received than to see the herald who is blessed by his king go forth to announce his coming? It's an astonishing thing. So Zacharias blesses his son. He also is thereby blessing us. And he does this by blessing God. But then, especially if you've been a Christian very long, I'm sure you've noted in your own life that the best blessing you receive from God often comes in the wording of him being blessed. Think of Jude 24 and 25. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling, be all these blessed things. The best benedictions often include the blessing of God as God's people go forth. And that's what Zacharias does here. So as he does this, let's think about what he shows us about this day spring from on high. Who is he? What does he do? As we look at this, five points. Don't panic. A couple of them I'll do really quickly. But five points that we can draw out from Zacharias here. You can probably draw out more on your own. I just picked the five, I think, most important points here. First, Zacharias in this benediction shows us that the the day spring is Emmanuel. The the day spring is 
Emmanuel, God with his people. He declares right at the beginning that God has visited his people. Verse 68. John isn't that visitation. But he has visited his people, hasn't he? Jesus entered the room three months earlier, last week for us. And all, everyone in the house knew it. He's visited. And even if the rest of the, the nation doesn't know it yet, he's arrived. And soon, 30 years later, his messenger is going to walk out of the wilderness and say, hear ye, hear ye. And the king is going to step forth from the wilderness as well and go forth preaching and healing and bringing the kingdom. The day spring is Emmanuel, God with his people. Now this, this visitation isn't a casual thing. It's not he's come over to sit and chat on the porch. It's not a visit as in just seeing an old friend. It's the language of the emperor coming from Rome to your town, maybe to your house, an imperial, a royal visit. And that can be bad or it can be very good. Very bad, depending on how you've received him. Very good if you've received him right. And isn't that what we were reading in John chapter 1 this morning? Some received him when the emperor of the universe appeared. And to those who received him, they received the right to be called children of him. But those who did not receive him are still in darkness. And the darkness is not not a safe place to be. We'll reflect on that more later. But here is Emmanuel coming in the form of Jesus, the eternal second person of the Godhead, the Holy Trinity, God, forever now united to flesh. Of course, God always visited his people when they had need. He heard their cry in Egypt. He heard them cry out under oppression from Moab or the Philistines. He arrived and he acted. But all of that just anticipated a forever Emmanuel. One who took on our flesh and tabernacled in it and continues to bear our flesh in heaven. Truly God is with his people. Second, the day spring is God keeping his promises. Emmanuel is not a whim. Oh, you know what? Second person of of this trinity we have here. I'm going to send you to take on flesh. Why not? Seems like a good time. That, That isn't it at all. And Zacharias is aware of that. There's nothing so flippant about Jesus coming at this time and in this way, Zacharias is clear that Emmanuel, the dayspring, is God keeping his promises. And that's, of course, what Paul will reiterate, that in Christ all the promises of God are yes and amen. That is, they come to completion in him. Every promise God has made finds its fulfillment in Christ. And that starts that starts far sooner than we might expect it. Promises, he says, made from the prophets. And we say, oh, so we should start looking at Sinai, where Moses was the prophet. And where others started prophesying, and he said, I wish all of you would prophesy. And since that day, God gave prophets. That's how our minds might work. But that's not how Zacharias' mind worked, is it? He says he's done these, given these promises through the, the prophets since the world began. 
just because we don't have a book with someone's name from the days before Abraham that says this man was the prophet, or just because we don't have uh, every single one of them labeled in Genesis, doesn't change the fact that since the garden, no, Zacharias says further back, God has spoken. He has spoken since the world began. And in the garden, he spoke and declared in Genesis 3.15 that it would be his plan one day to send one who would save his people and rescue them from their enemies. God in Christ is that person. Not just some guy, but Emmanuel. And he is the fulfillment of God's promises. Third, the day spring, Zacharias makes clear, comes to the covenant people of God. Now, there are implications for many uh, beyond the Israelites of Zacharias' day. He speaks here, for example, of those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. That would include all, all God's people in this fallen world. And Simeon, whom we'll probably look at in January, will be even more explicit than that. But it's important to see that this is a covenant people to whom the, the Messiah, the dayspring, comes. He keeps his promises that are not made merely to you as an individual, but to you as one who will be grafted into the body of Christ. You who, as one who will be grafted into the vine as a branch, into the tree, as a shoot. It's never just you in Scripture. It's Christ saving you into his family by covenant. And we need to not miss that point. Here, Zacharias keeps using uh, the, the plural, right? Our Father our father Abraham to us the day spring comes Emmanuel to keep God's promises and he comes to a corporate people and that's important to us because we need to remember the importance of the church we live in a day when the church is viewed often as negligible, negligible, I don't know why I stuttered there, negligible to your faith. Where, where you can have a relationship with Christ and take or leave the church with an emphasis on leaving. But that's not the view in Scripture And it's not how Zacharias talks about the salvation we have in Christ. It's always in community. An individual saved into a community. A particular salvation of you. Christ thought of you and bore your sins on the cross. But he did that to make you a part of something bigger. And that's why Hebrews 10.25 talks about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day, that's the second advent, the return of Christ, approaching. One reason why that's so important is we ought to expect blessing in the context of the covenant community. There, there is blessing to you reading your Bible on your own or reading so-and-so's 30-day Advent devotional on your own. There's some really wonderful ones out there, and I'm glad when I hear 
of people using them. Uh, But Scripture emphasizes again and again the importance of corporate worship as the center point of God blessing his people. You can think of the description of Mount Zion in Psalm 87. And the Lord loves the the gates of Zion more than all the households of Jacob. That's another way of saying he loves it when you get together for corporate worship more than when you're living your life on your own. It's an important theme in Scripture. I was going to say it's a theme that is also part of your Sunday school class this morning, adults. But now I have to say it's also an important part of next week's Sunday school class, adults. So be prepared for that. The importance of God's blessing, specifically through the means of grace, the word, especially preaching, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, and especially corporate prayer, all of which influenced your personal reality of, of the, or enjoyment of those things, right? The preaching of the word ought to influence your private reading of the word. Corporate prayer ought to influence your private prayer and enrich it. And, well, other, other ways that the sacraments also ought to affect your personal sanctification. Um, but the corporate is very important in Scripture. In fact, there was a man, his name was Asaph, who apparently had a very good devotional life. He even goes so far as to say that he was diligently to seek Diligently he sought a pure heart in devotion to God. And yet he declares, My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked until I went into the sanctuary of God. He diligently sought a pure heart. He was a man of imminent devotion in his own life. And we get to benefit from some of that. He writes some of the most beautiful psalms. I I think he gives David a run for his money at times. And yet he says, that devotion I had on my own, I was was still going to lose it until I went to church. Then I saw. The the day spring is Emmanuel. The day spring is God keeping his promises. The day spring comes to the covenant people of God. So let's be sure that we are in that covenant community of God's people. Fourth, the day spring changes our lives. Changes our lives. Because he is Emmanuel, God with us, how could he be with us in our life and our life not be changed? Sometimes we want our lives to remain unchanged. We want Emmanuel to give us, like we're playing Monopoly or something, a get out of jail free card, get out of hell free, and then we want to keep playing as if nothing had changed. We want to keep in our sin. But Emmanuel in your life requires change. How could his presence not? And Zacharias gets at uh, very powerfully two aspects of how Emmanuel in your life necessarily must change your life. It might take years. It is a progressive thing that takes place when God in your life changes you, but there must be change as time goes on. And he presents us with two beautiful aspects of this in verses 74 and 75. First, if Emmanuel is with you in your life, then our lives 
become courageous. You don't feel courageous. I know most of you don't feel courageous. But see what he says here. That God has come in the flesh to grant us that we being delivered from our, the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. The opposite of fear is courage. That we might serve him without fear. I, I remember a story of a, a young boy doing a, a newspaper route on his bike and he was being bothered some by some local bullies and so he was quite scared. One, one day he was doing that round on his bike and he saw them up ahead and he thought he was in trouble and then they started running away. Wow, this is great. He kept doing his bike route, his newspaper route. It took him a little while to realize that Big Brother was riding his bike about half a block behind him. And, and his older brother was quite, quite the big guy. I, I don't think when I heard that story, the, the person telling it was the, the young boy. He was an adult by then. I don't think he was saying, oh, that ruined it when I found out Big Brother was back there. I, I got the impression, now I can do this without fear. He won't let anything happen to me. And that's what we find over and over again with Emmanuel in Scripture, isn't it? We find that though a thousand adversaries surround us, if Emmanuel is with us, who can stand against us? We find that we need not fear those who can harm our body if Emmanuel is with us, for they cannot harm our soul. And that's what Zacharias is emphasizing here. The result of Emmanuel coming in the flesh, fulfilling God's promises, coming to his covenant people, is a covenant community of people who can live in courage. And that courage progressively increases as our faith in Christ increases throughout our lives. At times we waver in it. But Zacharias is nonetheless right. We can live. It's granted to us who know Emmanuel to live and serve him without fear, with courage. And then the other thing that's the result, the way it changes our lives to have Emmanuel in us, in our lives, the day spring changes our lives so that our lives are motivated for holiness. He says, in holiness, we might live and serve him in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. God is with us. And while that gives us courage, it should also bring us up short on sin. It should cause us to be with reverence and awe because the one in whose presence all of our life exists is a consuming fire and is holy, holy, holy. Isn't it interesting that in Hebrews, the very passage that's telling you that you have not come to Mount Sinai where you get shot if you even touch the mountain, but you've come to Mount Zion through a better blood than that of Abel, ends with, we still worship him with reverence and awe for our God is still a consuming fire. And that's what Zacharias sees as well. We live before him in holiness and righteousness. Again, something that takes a lot of work. Something that we will never be perfect at of ourselves in this life. And thank God 
because he has come to save us from our enemies, see how the order of that works? Verse 74, he has already delivered us. Then we live in righteousness and holiness. That means that the righteousness and holiness do not save us and do not deliver us. And so we can live in those things without trembling when we fail. Because our doing holy things is not what gets us Emmanuel in our lives. Is not what brings us deliverance. But as those delivered, we can boldly and courageously do our best for the glory of God, knowing we are meriting nothing. It changes our lives. That's point four. But you may notice that we kind of skipped over something. We skipped right to how salvation changes our lives. Zacharias has not yet told us how are we saved. And that's what he saves for the last section where he addresses his son specifically, 76 through 79. So the day spring is Emmanuel. The day spring is God keeping his promises. The day spring comes to the covenant people of God and the day spring changes our lives. But fifth and finally, the day spring is the way of salvation. The day spring is the way of salvation. His coming is the way. The knowledge is given as, as to how to be ready, and it's not vague. John will not come out of the wilderness with a message of, believe something. But our, our society loves that. In fact, the more vague the something is, the more we love it. Let's not be specific as to how you get saved. I just want you to believe in something. And then you can save the world. But John doesn't come saying anything ridiculous like that. He doesn't even come saying, just believe something about Jesus. Someone really important is coming and you ought to have some sort of relationship with him. He comes with a very specific message. And the message is right in line with what Christ himself will declare. You all know these words. Christ said, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. He doesn't say, I've come to show you a way or even to show you the way. He says, I am the way. Salvation is the day spring. There's no other salvation, and it comes in no other name. And that's what John came preaching. Remember what John said? He looked, and there he was, the day spring, walking along. And John announces who it is. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who points the way to salvation. No. There he is, the Lamb of God who makes it possible for you to be reconciled to God. No. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is salvation. There is no salvation under any other name. And Zacharias gets at this as he instructs and blesses his son on day one of his son's life. God really picks good parents for the herald, doesn't he? They may not have lived very long into John's life, being old and all, but they taught him good theology from the cradle. And what Zacharias teaches John about the salvation, which is the day spring from on high visiting us, includes three things, three important aspects of the salvation we have in Christ. 
The dayspring brings us remission of sins. Remission of sins. Some of your translations may have forgiveness of sins. I think remission is a less well-known phrase, but it's a more particular phrase. It helps us see really the emphasis. But again, it's less well-known. You hear remission, and I bet half of you are thinking medically. Half of you are thinking when, when you've had, usually it's cancer, isn't it? You've had cancer, and the cancer is in remission. It means that it's, it's dormant or not present, right? That there's an absence of it. It's gone into remission. But that, of course, is not the way that the New Testament uses the idea of remission of sins. Oh, you were a sinner, but now that's just the sins dormant in your life. It's not really, it's not really seeming to make a comeback at the moment. It could. That's not not what the Bible means with remission of sins. It means what the old way of saying remittance. That the debt is canceled. It's stricken from the book. That your sin in God's book has been remitted, removed. That the judge of the universe no longer has a list of crimes under your name your file is absolutely cleared and if such a thing happens no one can take you to court for those things anymore that's what Zacharias is saying the day spring accomplishes for you You, a criminal, will one day stand before the judge. But because the day spring has arrived, if you are in him, you'll stand before that judge's seat and the judge will say, I see no crimes here. Nothing. Because, of course, the day spring has paid for those crimes. Jesus didn't make remittance possible. He remitted your sins, if you are a believer, upon his own body and in his own soul on the cross. Salvation is the day spring. And he brings remission of sins. Good news for guilty criminals. It's Zacharias' equivalent of saying, the Lord be gracious to you. How could he be more gracious to you than to wash you thoroughly of all your sins and make you whiter than snow? That's what he's come to do, says Zacharias. I just marvel thinking, what did it feel like? This should cause us all great joy. But can you even imagine what it must have felt like to Zacharias? Who was declaring not someone who came and did something, but a baby who had walked into his house and lived there for three months who hadn't even been born yet, but was going to pull off all the things David used to pray for. Astonishing. Good news and blessing from on high. But that's not the only thing he brings as the Savior. He brings light. Light. As in that benediction from Aaron, the Lord lifts up his countenance upon you. If I, was, if I was someone who paraphrased more when I did the benedictions, but I'm not convinced 
it's as good for you for me to paraphrase a benediction as it is to read God's inspired benedictions to you. But if I were to paraphrase more, Aaron's benediction is saying, may his smiling face look upon you. May God look at you and grin. That's what Aaron's saying. The light of the countenance of a pleased father be toward you of rebellious criminal an adopted son or daughter and Zacharias of course is getting at that as well as he talks about the day spring from on high God in Christ brings us out of darkness into light think of Isaiah 9 where the people have been walking in darkness what darkness is this? We, we know that Christ wasn't literally shining on earth, so we know that the darkness and light uh, isn't, again, imagery. It, it's not a literal thing that there was no sun in the sky until Jesus showed up in the manger. Uh, we, we know it's imagery. So what is the imagery of darkness targeting? I, I like how it's emphasized by Edward Young. He writes, Their manner and course of life, their very existence, is one that is in darkness. Darkness without and darkness within. I thought about the darkness without a little bit this week. And also read another five pages of that same commentary. And I think he's right. There is an aspect to which all humanity is walking around in darkness without when we think of the fall. So the darkness without includes political upheaval. It includes international turmoil. And it includes societal issues. It includes all of those things. But here's the thing, it doesn't stop at those things. And that's our problem. We think about salvation just in terms of those externals. Fixing our neighborhoods. Fixing our uh, America to make it great. Uh, Fixing our world. Bring peace, not war. Those are all aspects of the darkness that have come upon us since the garden. And Christ does address those. He will eternally address those. But Edward Young is right there where he says, darkness without and darkness within. And then hear how he defines the darkness within. Ignorance, distress, misery, and sin. And here's the thing. When Christ came in the flesh, the day spring from on high appeared. How did he go about bringing light to the darkness without and within? Was it by overthrowing Rome? Booting that Edomite Herod off of David's throne and fixing all of the social inequities? No, he actually doesn't do those things. One day, he will when he returns. But how does he begin this? How does he bring his kingdom of light? He brings salvation for souls that are at enmity with God. He takes those who were God's sworn adversaries in rebellion and he reconciles them through the blood of the cross. But there's also another way in which his light may be emphasized by Zacharias here. We're walking in darkness. How is it that we come to the light of Jesus Christ? 
if if you throw me in the middle of the woods at two a.m. on a cloudy night, and I don't have a cell phone or one of the far better flashlights uh, that we used to all have, what do I do to be able to see? H- how can I make it light? There's nothing I can do to make light. Unless I have a match or something like that. But again, I don't. For some reason, I'm out in the woods in my pajamas with nothing in my pockets. How do I make light? See, if we stick with the very imagery, the indication of Christ the Dayspring is that he doesn't, he doesn't only bring remittance of sins, but he also brings the light into our lives that enables us to be in the light. It's what in theology we talk about as regeneration. To be born again. What did you do to be born the first time? Nothing. What did you do to be born the second time? Well, we want to say I did something, don't we? We want to say I believed and I was born again. But in John 3, Christ says you cannot even see the kingdom of God unless you've already been born again. The spirit working in you. You were dead in the darkness of death. And the Holy Spirit sparked life in you so that you might believe. Now, that being said, sounds, sounds like we're saying, well, then all responsibility is taken off. But notice how the knowledge of salvation is presented by John, according to Zacharias. John is to give knowledge of salvation to his people. How does John do it? Wait around long enough and the Holy Spirit may spark life within you. No, he says, repent and believe. And a whole section on that. And I realize that belongs in January with John saying those things. So we'll, we'll leave it at that for now. But you ought to note that walking in darkness, something over which you have no control, and the responsibility to command, uh, the command to repent and believe in Scripture stand side by side without apology. God's sovereign act of salvation to bring light into your dead soul and you being responsible to respond in faith and repentance, stand side by side, and God never says, oh no, those don't work together, do they? Never once. And so, repent and believe is the message. Knowing that it is the Spirit who works in you to will and to do and to see. Well, he brings remission of sins. He brings light. And then finally, and very briefly, he brings peace to guide our feet into the way of peace. Just as Aaron ended his benediction. The Lord give you peace. Eternal peace with him. It doesn't feel like peace with the outward darkness, does it? but eternal peace in Christ. And one day, the Prince of Peace will set his feet on planet Earth again and put an end to all conflict, all persecution, all animosity against you as a believer, 
all war and all famine and all sickness. The Prince of Peace is returning and He brings eternal peace. You can know that eternal peace now even in the midst of trial. Peace beyond all understanding now. Peace that we finally understand then. Zacharias shows us who the day spring is, Christ, and what he will do. And our response ought to be to join with Zacharias. Blessed be the Lord God for what he has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the glory of your gospel. We thank you that our Savior has paid it all. He has paid it all and has done it all so that we might be the sons and daughters of God. So, Lord, we do ask that you would work in our hearts more faith each day with each passing moment. More faith and more love for you, even as you work your peace in our hearts so that we might live our lives aware and desirous to express that all to him we owe. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll turn in your your hymnal, I'm sorry, in your bulletin, you'll find our insert, which is the Song of Zechariah. We're going to sing a, a version of what we've just read in the Word of God, set to Nettleton, which, as you all know, is Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Or now you know it. So uh, let's sing this together, singing the words of God to him and to one another with great joy. Stand if you're able. 